What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. I am your host, Greg. You're listening to episode 205. I am here tonight with Tyler. Uh, Ryan's entire family has the plague. It is going around. Tyler is partially plagued and will be muted for most of the episode. It's not cough into everyone's ears. You can all thank me later. But Tyler, how are you besides uh, creeping death? I'm doing fine. It's just that I have a fucking lingering cough from the last. I was sick over Christmas a little bit. So, um, or I should say a couple days before Christmas. So I'm currently um, pretty, pretty good now. It's just that this cough won't go away. It's ridiculous. But other than that, I'm doing fine. Better than this hockey team. I'll tell you that right now. It's like the Jekyll and Hyde of the Red Wings right now, which we, I mean, really don't want to talk about this game. They're losing currently four to nothing to the Buffalo Sabres. But I, the, the cough thing is no joke. My wife was sick for a bit and she's probably had a cough for a week and a half now after being actually sick for like three days. So it's not fun, but it's going around. Uh, hopefully everyone out there is feeling OK. But we do have a show tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh game. And then we did a mailbag. We got several questions from Twitter. We got a question from YouTube. So we're going to go through those. But first, I kind of want to get down to the Penguins game where the Red Wings. Uh, I was about to shut that game off. First period, the game uh, four to nothing. They came out flat, did not look very good. Lalone said that they played OK. Uh, they let Vili Husso out to dry. He ended up getting pulled. Helberg comes in for the second. The Red Wings claw out of the hole and come back to win in overtime on just a slick setup. Andrew Kopp almost ended it. And then there's a slick setup to Jake Wallman to kill that game. And the the Pens fans had to have been super angry. But I I mean, it was rust probably for the first period, just shaking that off. The Pens had played the night before. I think they wasted all their energy in the first. And it's a big two points. And the like the one good thing, too, about that game is like, I, I didn't watch from start to finish. I started watching halfway through. I was busy with some prior commitments. But, um, you know, that game was a kind of a tale. Like, even though it was 3 nothing, I think the shots were like 14-5 to in favor of the Wings or something like that. So they they had their chances in that first period. Yeah, it was kind of an onslaught. But, I mean, they, they definitely got their legs under them. And, and, you know, they were able to kind of climb out of that hole and Come all the way back. Darren McCarty said it the best earlier today on Big D Energy and Woodward Sports. He said that those are the kind of games, those are the wins that become important. It's you're taking you're taking points from people within your conference and the Penguins who right now have 44 points on the season. I mean, it's it's only going to get harder. And it's games like that, that in the end, at the end of the day and towards the end of the season, when you're trying to play meaningful hockey, if you win games like that, it helps you out down the road. Because Five the Penguins, nothing, Buffalo. Oh, my God. I can't even. OK, I'm going to turn it off. But it's games like that that help you down the road when you're when you're maybe you hit another rough patch. Hopefully the wings don't because they're about to get healthy again. But to beat a good Penguins team like that at home, granted, it was on a back to back. I mean, David Perron went out there. And to talk about veteran presence, his puck protection, a lot of the game reminded me of Henrik Zetterberg on how Perron just he is a beast on that puck and he's not letting anyone take it. And he had some really good chances. Uh, a lot of the Red Wings had points, but I think Perron um, and Michael Rasmussen were two of the big ones that really stood out to me last night. Yeah, he um, he reminds me a lot of Henrik Zetterberg. I know they play a different position. 
I know Zetterberg played a little bit of wing in his career as well. But, you know, David Perron, he really is kind of a throwback player. He really is. Like, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's really good at shielding the puck and kind of just, you know, putting the puck where somebody else isn't. And, you know, when he gets his opportunities, he scores and, and he'll make some nice passes. He's been one of my favorite free agent acquisitions in a long time uh, as a Red Wing fan. He really has been a really good acquisition. And in terms of leadership, too, he's another guy that, you know, he's won a Stanley Cup. He's been through cup runs. He's done done what it takes to win. And he's he's a great pickup. I wish it was a little bit further down the line because I don't think this team is quite ready to win yet. But, um, you know, he definitely gives the team a shot in the arm and him and Larkin definitely have some good chemistry. I think Perron, though, like you said, even though he's not we're not at the point where like Perron's one of those last pieces you add to make that Stanley Cup run. I think we're at a an important inflection point where adding a guy like Perron helps them take that next step, though, helps them become that more competitive team, teaches them how to win teaches them what it takes to to like like they did claw back from a four nothing and, and come back and take it. He's a clutch player. That's the big thing is that he always comes up clutch and he's still playing a lot of minutes. David Prom played 19 minutes and 43 seconds in that Pittsburgh game. Uh, he was I mean, their only players above him were Sider, uh, Wallman. I mean, and that's about it. Dylan Larkin, Philip Peronic, mostly defense. And then he was the second highest forward in ice time. So it's I mean, he it was integral to that game. And then top line playmaker Michael Rasmussen just continues to be impressive with the way he's setting up goals. He had an assist, um, but he's just flying out there and he's creating opportunities. And again, it, like we always say, not falling down, able to stay on his skates now that Michael Rasmussen, um, but he's using his body to his advantage and he's making things happen out there. And and I can't go an episode without mentioning Jonathan Berggren and what he is able to just do with absolutely nothing. He is a guy that it's to be the most boring, mundane, no chance you're going to get anything. And he flips it right to the front of the net where someone's at. Or he makes a really good stop and spin to to get out of danger and open up ice. He when we are healthy, if he is sent back to Grand Rapids, it's an absolute crime. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think he's done everything that has been asked of him to stay and even more honestly even more than i expected he's been really good um you know in terms of being on the four check in terms of playing pretty responsibly defensively and then you know he's he's putting up some numbers too so um i wish he could play a little bit higher up in the lineup but i understand why he's not at this point in time um and you know as as you alluded to we're starting to get healthy so um you know uh, I, w- I will say one thing. I don't know about you. I think Soderblom, when he grows into his body, is going to be a force to be reckoned with, not just physically, but like in terms of like being able to do what David Perron does, shield the puck, you know, be able to like, I, I feel like he's still like, I-, I-, I don't know how to really explain it, but like he's still like kind of gangly. You know what I mean? He's still kind of like everything's not smooth and fluid yet. And I think when that comes, I'm not saying he's going to be like a superstar or anything like that, but I mean, could he become a guy that like, you know, as a third third or fourth line guy that, you know, can put some production or, you know, being on the power play too in, in front of the net? I, I don't see why not, uh, especially if he's going to be one of those guys that can kind of shield the puck and 
dig the puck out of the corners and all, you know, hunt pucks and everything like that. So I, I, I really do believe that when he gets everything in sync, he's going to be a really good hockey player. I think me and Ryan had talked about it on one of the episodes. It is the Soderblom's problem right now is that he either uses his stick or he uses his body and he doesn't do both of them at the same time. So if he's guarding with his body, it leaves the puck open and he gets stripped, which is why I said I don't really mind if he goes back to Grand Rapids to work on defense, because if he can use his stick, his reach and his body to to keep people off at the same time, then, like you said, he's going to be really good. And I mean, at that point, he's a mid six guy because he's got the hands. We've seen the hands and they are good. So right, not it, to mention the size, obviously. Which yeah. And his skating's itself. not bad. That was the biggest thing coming in was like, how is his skating going to be? And it it was fine. And it's more than fine for a guy of his size. But, but like I said, when he gets to to using both those those sets of tools that he has together, that is when he is going to be really, really good. And I think that maybe that just means another offseason. But he did have an assist on, I believe it was the Beargren goal last night where that's another sneaky good group of players right there when you put Beargren and Soderblom together because, again, they both can make space when they need to. So it's it's just a good... Our bottom six is forming up. Uh, like you said, I think Beargren deserves to be up higher in the lineup with how he's playing, but it is it is what it is because of the way that the lines are right now. Uh, but to kind of recap that Pittsburgh game, the Red Wings did win 5-4 to four in overtime. They had a Corsi 4 of 50.9. They had a Fenwick 4 of 49.4. So it was about even control in that game, uh, split between Detroit and Pittsburgh, with a PDO of 101.2. So slightly lucky in that game, but nothing crazy. Uh, We had more defensive zone starts and offensive zone starts, though. So that's something we are going to want to button up. But our faceoff percentage during that game was 53.5. So that is another thing that is turned around whenever, like you said, whenever we win faceoffs or the majority of faceoffs, we tend to do much better. And uh, we won the majority of faceoffs in that game. And that's without Larkin taking a lot of faceoffs, right? Yeah, Larkin only took one faceoff last night. Michael Rasmussen has been coming in to take faceoffs for Larkin because of his wrist. But I think that six day break was what Dylan Larkin really needed because he scored a beautiful goal, uh, super quick release. And I think that's what he needed just to rest that wrist and get everything back to normal. He's still not taking faceoffs this game. Uh, he might take one or two, but he's not taking what he normally does. Yeah, he took one tonight um, because Rasmussen got kicked out of the circle. Uh, another bit of news before we go on to the mailbag. Jacob Verana was assigned to the Grand Rapids Griffins on conditioning a three game stint. He played last night and I believe he will play Saturday night and Sunday. And I mean, it's good. It's good to see him come back. We saw a tweet that said he got our cards. Uh, Thank you to everyone who did the card drive. Uh, He did say during the Grand Rapids Griffins intermission interview that he did get a bunch of cards in mail, um, wishing him support and and good luck. So it's good. Thank you for everyone that uh, participated in that. But it's good to see him back, man. It's good to see him on the ice and uh, hopefully back up into this lineup really quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, glad to see that, you know, we, we weren't sure whether he was going to play again this year or not, but, you know, clearly he's on the trajectory to, to get back into play, which is great. It's great for the Red Wings. It's great for, um, you know, the team itself. And then it's also great for him because, you know, he's, 
he's, um, you know, working through something or, you know, thankfully he's worked through whatever he had to work through. And hopefully, you know, it, you know, there's no other issues. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to bring up too, um, while we talked about that Pittsburgh game, Jake Wallman hitting the gritty after he scores the goal. I saw a bunch <laughs> it was of amazing fucking weird old and uh, old hockey fans saying they're that so that's mad. Not cool. They're so they're mad. so like, mad. You know, for the most part, I like the old game better than I like the new game. Like not the 06, 07, but like you know, twenty ten through twenty. 15, 16. I do like that better, but I will say one thing. I like the gritty. I like the gritty. All I like the gritty. overtime goals need over the top sellies. Every single one of them. You've got to, if you score an overtime game winner, you've got to do something crazy because that was amazing. I think it's fun. I think it's good for the game. And I think if anything, it'll just help grow the game. So I'm all for it. I love the gritty, especially if you're a football fan. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that kind of is, is, pretty pretty new pretty new to the nfl but really in terms of like you know showing emotion and i always talk about this as a baseball fan there's not enough emotion in that game so hockey was kind of the same thing and i'm glad to see that they're starting people are starting to embrace it a little bit now the old people you know what whatever they're not going to embrace it that it it is what it is so now the boomers get really mad at any kind of fun they think you should just play the game like uh like gentlemen but I saw a uh, Florida Panthers um, meme group called Over the Boards posted a picture of Wallman doing the gritty. And it says, imagine forking over hundreds of dollars for glass seats at PPG Paints Arena just to end your night seeing this shit. <laughs> it's just like, I think it was the because it was at home in overtime and just winning and then just popping the gritty and just going down ice. It was the best thing I, I've seen in quite a while. I took a gif of it the second it happened and put it up on Twitter got a couple hundred retweets and stuff. So it's uh it was it was definitely a great moment and and good for Wallman too. Because Wallman I think was a sneaky good uh acquisition by Eiserman. Signed him to a 2-year contract. And I think it's paying off because I I knew with more minutes he could be good. He showed that in his limited time last season that he could be good and he got paired with Cider for some shifts and I think the Wallman Cider pair is really good. And we talked about Sherratt probably need to be moved off the top pair. I would put Wallman up there because I think that's that's how good he has been recently. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Wallman, uh, I was a little hard on him when he first came up last year. When he came over from St. Louis, I was a little hard. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I see it. But um, the more I watch him, the more I'm really impressed. You know, he's got a good shot. He's he's fast, obviously. And like, you know, he's he makes smart decisions with the puck. I said to you, I don't know if it was on or off off um, air here, but um, Cider is getting a little bit too cavalier with the puck, you know, for my liking. You know, he's there's a lot of turnovers. I think he's starting to watch um, Philip Peronic a little bit too much in the, the turnover uh, category there. And I think he needs to watch more of Jake Wallman. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that pair would be good. Um, both of them are responsible enough defensively and, and Wallman's super fast. So I, I agree. I think it would be a good, a good pair. We've seen it a couple of times. I don't know why Newsy doesn't go back to it, but um, you know, we'll find that out. And and I'm sure as the season goes on, we'll see more and more of that. For sure. Um, so what we got tonight, like I said, is a mailbag. Um, but before we get to the mailbag, because it is a lot of questions, we are going to take a quick break for a word from DraftKings. We'll be right back in just a minute. 
Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility requirements apply. See show notes for details. And we are back, and we have a mailbag. It's a lot of questions from Twitter. Um, because content is kind of light, because there was a break, it will be uh, next week will actually have a really good show. We have a guest coming on, but we do have a mailbag. So to start off, we have Lee Fournier from Twitter at Lee Fournier 5. Is this the end for Nadelkovich? Um, that is a <laughs> it is a hard question. And that is because if you look at what Helberg is doing right now, Helberg has let in five goals. So it's it's hard to say if it's the end for Ned. Ned isn't on an expiring contract. He hasn't played in a few weeks. He could go to Grand Rapids on a conditioning stint just to kind. I think the problem for Ned right now is confidence just to get his confidence back up, get him to play a few games in a row, see how he does down there because Grand Rapids could use the help, too. But. I I can't say it's the end for Ned right now, especially, like I said, after what Helberg has done tonight. It's about the same thing. So I think your backup's going to be your backup, and they're both going to give you probably similar results. And that's that's what it's going to be until either Ned is... If, if Iserman thinks this is it for Ned, he'll trade him because his contract's up. He's on an expiring contract. He'll try to get something for him. But I can't write him off right now because what's your other option for a backup yeah i I agree um like i like ned i i i had really high hopes for ned um he's still young enough where he could still turn into a goal that you know the type of goalie that we want him to he's 26 he hasn't played since what february or um december 8th against uh, Florida, a five-one loss. So he still gave up five goals in that game. Um, you can you can see the games that he's played too. He gave up five goals against Buffalo, four against Toronto, four against LA. So um, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a good season, that's for sure. I wouldn't write him off. I mean, he's still a twenty-six-year-old goaltender um, with you know some potential, anyways. Even if he's not going to be a star goalie, um, you know, he definitely has the potential and. What we've seen from Helberg tonight, I mean, Ned could go out there and do the same, if not better. So, um, in fact, I I, I, I don't want to call anybody out, but there's a couple goals in this game that didn't even look like Helberg was trying. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to call anybody's character out, but it, I can only see what, say what I see, and that's what I saw. So... Um, that's that's my answer to that. You you have to look at it too. Helberg's on what his third team this season because he's been waived, and you don't just waive good. If it was a star backup that was gonna uh, come to Detroit and out, like oust Ned, you don't get that off waivers. Like that's not something that you just pick up and and they play amazingly generally. So uh, like I said, Ned this season nine games, 
uh, and he has a safe percentage of 88% at goals against a 4.09. Now, granted, and I believe Max had also said this in an article on The Athletic, that Ned had been given the harder starts. He had been given the tougher matchups. He had been given the road games. And it just seems like the team has played worse in front of him. Like, complete lack of defensive effort. And you can't put every goal that's scored on Ned on him. Just like you can't put every goal that's scored on Huso on him and every goal that's scored on Helberg on him. But he he's looked jumpy at times. He has looked slow and just not confident. It's like when he lets one or two in, he can't shake it. That was what Huso has been good at this season is that an early goal doesn't really bother Huso. Um, the four goals in that game last night were not really much of his fault at all. He was pulled for compassion, <laughs> basically. Uh, Newsy said that we had got him out of there because they just needed a change of pace. Yeah, so, um, Ken and Mick said something about he he's battling the flu too. Uh, he's he not sick. even backing yep. up tonight. Yeah, he is sick. Uh, and like I said, it's going around. And if Ned can get into Grand Rapids and get some games in and build that confidence back, I mean, it's it's his spot until he's traded or until the end of the season. I mean, you're, you're not going to waive him because he'll be picked up automatically. And you can carry 23 men. That doesn't mean you can't carry three goalies. We can carry three goalies on the roster if we need to. We are. So when when guys start coming back from IR, that's when you get a little worried. But as of right now, I can't say that's the end for Ned because you've you've got him. He's he's your guy and you're not going to lose him for nothing. So I think that's that's the answer to that question right there. Uh, From Michael on Twitter at Thor underscore I N. Should we see another Red Wings gritty Selly this year, or was that a perfect one and done scenario? I think I think now on the team, only Wallman is allowed to do that. So only if Wallman scores a goal, it's his thing. He's allowed to do it. I don't think anyone else on the team should do it. Uh, but I did I did say that everyone on the team, uh, whoever scores an overtime winner, should just do an over the top Selly. Do like the Shanny. Was it Shanny that uh, slid on his head? Or was it uh Chelly that slit like did like a head? It was Chelly. Uh yeah, was it, it was the, Chelly at um, Was it the alumni Comerica. winner classic game? You no, know, no. It was Chelly at Comerica during one of the uh the alumni games when the yeah, winter so said, classic Yeah, the alumni winter classic game. What, right, when the winter classic was in Ann Arbor. Yeah, and he went and did the the headstand Selly. So I think if you score an overtime uh goal. You should be able to do whatever the overtop celebration you want to do. The whole team should get on it, just like they do in football when they score a touchdown. Everyone should come in and do like the eat them up and everything. It'd be great. I think that's one hundred percent. The, uh, the, the Devonte Smith stealing the packages. Did you see that? I did. They call that the Brett Favre. <laughs> but um, I, I agree with you. I, I I think that you know Wallman should be the only guy uh, on the Red Wings, and I, honestly, I think Wallman should be the only guy in the NHL that does it. But I mean, I know that he's not claimed it. <laughs> it's it's going to be Trevor Zegris or or one of those you know young flashy players that ends up trying to pull it too. Um, although I will say one thing, I don't think a lot of people thought of it because it's like you, you hit the gritty on you know pavement or or on grass. It's a little bit different than hitting the gritty on ice. So, which is uh, makes it even more impressive, right? Like to do that on skates, but I exactly, but I don't think we're going to see that again this year. I think that was kind of a one and done thing. We may see it again in the future, but I don't think this year, unless there's another crazy comeback and Jake Wallman's the guy that scores the goal. I think it would make over the top sellies would make for great NHL marketing. 
I think you'd have him on the Sports Center top ten. Like that that gritty from Jake Wallman should be on like a Sports Center top ten th- plays of the week. Should be should be that right there. I had people that that some of my um, friends that are Michigan fans that aren't really big hockey fans uh, sending me that they're like, oh my god, are the Red Wings actually fun this year? Because we know the Pistons aren't, and Michigan basketball isn't. So um, you know, you can certainly rein in some people here if if you start winning some games, which obviously they're not doing right now. But anyways. Absolutely. It should be on every highlight package everywhere. The NHL should be using that for all of their marketing right now. Uh, From KMH at KMH and a bunch of numbers on Twitter. Do you see the pairing of Wallman Cider happening more or do you see Lalone holding firm on Sherratt with Cider despite the poor results? Any insight into why this pairing persists? So uh, we had said we'd love to see Wallman. I I have said I would love to see Wallman Cider happen more. It's an exciting pair. Uh, They're both fast. Wallman has an offensive upside. We know Sider has an offensive upside, even though he's slumping a little bit this season. Why Sherratt is still there is probably why Sherratt's been there since the beginning. Sherratt is that uh, he's that presence that's kind of there to throw people off their game. He's there to be physical. He's there to make room. But it doesn't seem to be helping Sider because Sider has to double down on defense. Yeah, you also don't need to put that on your top pair. But that doesn't have to be on your top D pair. I'm sorry. I, that, I'm sorry. That, that that doesn't make sense to me. I, I get it if you're playing, you know, a Penguins team with Sidney Crosby or you're playing Connor McDavid or something like that. But even then, I mean, if you look at what Colorado did, they had their two fastest defensemen against Connor McDavid in the playoffs last year. So, like, the game has kind of changed where if you're going to if you're going to face a team with a lot of speed, like the old adage was, you know, hit him to slow him down. And yes, you still do that, but you need defensemen that are fast enough to keep up with those guys. And, um, you know, seeing a Wallman cider pairing, I mean, we kind of talked about it earlier. Um, we've seen it a couple times this year. I want to see it more. I agree with you. I think that we've seen Sherratt the past couple games. He has offense to him. He's good at creating opportunities. He's not afraid to shoot the puck and go retrieve the puck and get it back out. And Mata is a very good stay at home defenseman. I think that could work. I I just there's something needs to be done there because I'm not sure that Sherrod is helping Cider. But it seems like Wallman freed Cider up a little bit, too. Uh, but you, like you said, that Cider is being a little bit too creative, but it's something that's a learning process. It's something he's going to learn from and have to change his game to to kind of go with. So. Uh, from Jimmy Hockey on Twitter at Jimmy Hockey underscore. What do you expect from the Red Wings in 2023? A lot of what they're already doing. Um, I, that's going to depend on what happens closer to the trade deadline. Um, whether we see guys get shipped off. I think you'll see maybe a couple trades. I think you'll probably see Pia Suter traded. You might see Adam Ernie go. If Bertuzzi comes back, OK, you might see Bertuzzi get traded just to make room and to get some more picks. But I don't think you are going to see any kind of sea change in the Red Wings. Uh, Hopefully you don't see what happened to the Red Wings last season, which is the wheels completely fall off and tank the second half of the season. We don't need that. Um, But I don't think you're going to see anything drastic. We said uh, before the season started that we want to see a competitive, even keel team the entire season. And so far, for the most part, we have seen that. Um, not games like this, apparently against Buffalo, who score 100 goals on us every time we play them. But 
I think that's what you want to see is just that same even keel competitiveness night in and night out all the way through. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, th- that that's the biggest thing. You know, we kind of talked about, you know, Blashill's undoing and a lot of that was a lot of the blowouts. And, you know, when when, you know, a team went up to nothing, there was really no fight back. It was just like one thing snowballed to another. And instead of being down, you know, two, when you're down two to one and they score to make it three one. Um, you know, you score to make it three, two, instead of them scoring to make it four, one or five, one. And, and I think that's been the biggest difference this year, but although you do still see some of the blowouts, this Buffalo game, another uh, Buffalo game that we had, uh, there's been a couple other games on the schedule where, where games have kind of gotten out of hand. So, um, you know, they, they need to control that. Um, the Ranger game was another one. They need to control that. I, I know that, you know, they're, they really haven't had their whole team all year long, but what team does. Um, so I, I hate to make the excuses for them, but hopefully, you know, with getting everybody healthy, you know, they can start to turn the ship around. I know they've been playing a little bit better as of late, you know, they won the game against Tampa and then they won last night against Pittsburgh. So two in a row, but now you're getting your asses kicked against Buffalo again. So yeah, I think there's just going to be some teams that have our number for now. And apparently it's Buffalo, even though Buffalo is not super great this season. Uh, it's it's going to be them. So and but they're I mean, they're one of the top offensive teams in the league, if not the top offensive team in the league, because Tage Thompson, for some reason, became Superman this season. Um, hopefully that doesn't stick because it's making the Buffalo fans absolutely fucking insufferable. They will not shut up. They think he's the best player in the entire league. And it's look at him last season. I want if he if he carries it forward, you can say stuff like that. But I mean, it could be a one season fluke. We'll I think he will. I mean, I think he's got a ton of skill. He was a guy that that was at UConn that was a, a really good player at UConn, um, played in the World Juniors, was really good in the World Juniors. Uh, and it took him a little bit, you know, traded from St. Louis to Buffalo. But I do think he is a good player. I, I think I don't know if he'll keep it up this high, you know, scoring with the likes of dry sidle and mcdavid but i mean if he's one step below that i mean that's still a franchise player for buffalo a team that really hasn't had that since eichel left so man the guys st louis wish they had back david Prawn, oscar sunquist jake wallman tage thompson and it's and then you look at them right now what the blues are doing and it's uh it's robbie not, fabry yeah robbie fabry it's not pretty uh, from Chris at Fopec Jack on Twitter, healthy lines. So like we said, we have guys coming back from IR. Um, the lines are going to get a little squished here. I said, I think the easiest thing you do is you send Soderbloom to Grand Rapids. You have extras in guys like Suter or Ernie. Maybe you try to trade one pretty quickly. I don't think you're going to give yourself a situation where you lose someone on waivers. Your top line is probably going to go back to being and if this is Bertuzzi is back too, you might get a top line again of Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Raymond. I don't think you're getting a Verona, Larkin, Raymond right off the bat. You probably will eventually, but not right off the bat. I at this point, I'd probably bump Bergen up. It's it's hard to figure out what what exactly is going to happen, but I, I mean, I've got a general idea. Let me see if I can find my tweet. So when healthy, I think your top line, like I said, is something like Larkin and Raymond and probably I mean, I'm not moving Kubalik back up, but maybe you you try Berggren on the top for a little bit. I think you I mean, you're not trying Fabry on the top. So your top line's not going to change very much. 
Your second line is probably going to be Verana, Cop, and Perron, which is a fine second line. Or maybe you swap Kubalik in there somewhere. Your third line could be Kubalik, Rasmussen, and Fabry. I think that's a fine third line. And then your fourth line is going to be Beargren, Valeno, and Sunquist probably. And your extras are going to be Ernie and um, Ernie and Suter. Those are probably going to be your extras up top. And that's, again, it gives you more depth. It gives you more offense. And there, there are several players in there that are mix and matchable. I mean, you could move Beargren up and you could start Fabry on the fourth for limited minutes when he comes back. You could start Verana on the third line with limited minutes. But I don't think you're getting guys like Verana right into the top line to play over 20 minutes a night right when they're back. Same thing with Fabry. You're not going to play him 15, 16 minutes a night right when they come back. But getting the guys back when they are healthy, I mean, that's a huge, could be a huge injection of offense and hopefully make us a little bit more defensively responsible too. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that's, you know, that, that's the hope, you know, to be able to get, you know, almost as close to fully healthy as you can get. Cause you know, you know, injuries happen. Um, but you know, if you can get to a point where you have a month or two uh, where you have your full team, you can kind of see where this is headed. Um, and I, I do agree with that. Um, I, I think that, you know, the biggest thing is, is being able to finally get some lines that aren't constantly changing and aren't constantly being altered because of all the injuries and everything. And I think that's the biggest thing I really do. I think some continuity and being able to have your full team there for as long as possible, it, you know, is huge. And then things get a little bit sketchy when uh, Bertuzzi and Zadina come back because then we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. Although I think Zadina's spot is is in in jeopardy because Bergen's come in and just done so well that I don't see really any room for Zadina because you could say, oh, well, Adam Ernie, but Adam Ernie's been decently effective. I mean, he's scored some goals and he's put on pressure and he plays the body and and he just goes out and grinds in a, in a third or fourth line role. That's what he's there to do. I mean, Suter right now has good five on five possession numbers. But other than that, he's not doing a whole ton. So, I mean, it's it'll get really interesting when those two come back. But I think with the first two that are slated to return in uh, Fabry and Vrana, uh, it'll be fairly easy to figure out what to do there. Uh, from Mo Cider Hates Pumpkin Spice at Mo Cider Fanboy on Twitter. Modern Wallman have been a bit of fresh air. While Sherratt has looked bad, I do not see them bringing up more than one Grand Rapids defenseman next season for a full-time role. Are we in a potential scenario where Iserman has to or wants to keep Mata and Wallman for another year? I Wallman is already here for another year. He was signed to a two-year contract. I want to keep Mata. Um, I, I don't know what happens there. Now, Mata is playing very well. And if you think that Johansson or Edvinson are absolutely ready to go this coming season or next season, then maybe he's playing so well that you do trade him. Or maybe, I mean, Wallman, like you said, is signed for another year. Maybe if you think that Edvinson brings what Wallman brings in year one, maybe you get something good. These guys are playing themselves into tradable roles where you're, you're, if you have to trade them, you're going to get decent pieces because they've been playing well. And that's a great scenario to be in. And you'd hate to see a guy who's just coming on like Wallman get traded or a guy like Mata, who's been fantastic for this team, get traded. But it's it's going to end up being a casualty with your young guys you have coming in anyways. 
Yeah, I don't I don't see Wallman going anywhere. Mata potentially. Um, you know, the the biggest thing is 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 Edvinson ready to take that next step? And so far, no. Um, so you know, we'll just see what happens there. Um, I, I don't see any problem in leaving him in GR um for now. Um, and then hopefully next year, yeah, he'll be up. I I think the, the biggest thing uh, you know, is him him, you know, growing and becoming a better hockey player day in and day out. Uh, as for Sherrod, yeah, I, I agree. Sherrod has been um, not good. Let's just put it that way. Um, defensively, not good. Offensively, obviously not good either. So um, he has his moments, obviously, like everybody does. But I think the he's just – he's not – He's he's exactly what I expected to be. We we overpaid him a little bit, which is fine because the cap's going up. But he's he's not responsible with the puck. And I'll tell you one thing right now. I said this at the beginning, and people laughed at me. He's going to be your least favorite Red Wing defenseman before long. And if you're asking, are we going to get rid of Sherratt? You can't. And it's just it's not going to happen. And uh, Dominic Kubelik is one goal away from a hat trick right now. So we'll see. We'll see what he's on Hattrick watch. He has scored two in a row. Uh, the last question from Twitter is from Pete, the professor at Professor V5. After Gallant scratched Lafreniere today and a ton of talking points came out about his history with young, play, young players and development, how do you evaluate the relentless begging for him to be the Red Wings coach since 2017 at this moment in time? We were, I think, against it from the beginning, right? Gallant as head coach because we wanted the coaching carousel to stop. There was no point in doing it. He had been fired from two previous jobs, like ve- a very good Vegas team fired him. Uh, and it's was it Florida too? Florida fired him. Florida left him on the side of the road. Yeah. So you take a guy where you're like, there's got to be some issues there. And you see what he's done with a first overall pick, Lafreniere. And it's it's I mean, it is what it is. Because right now he has uh, 35 games played, five goals, 12 assists, 17 points is a plus three. So 17 and 36 so far in 171 games played over three seasons. He's got 69 points, which, well, very nice, is not where you thought he was going to be at this point in his career. And you could say it's development. You could say it's the coach likes to favor vets over kids. And I think that if Gallant was here, we wouldn't have seen cider probably in such a big role we probably wouldn't have seen raymond in such a big role right from the beginning and no i don't want that and the people that did want that i kept telling them absolutely not just look what happened in the places he's been he's likes vets he's not a guy who puts a ton of trust into kids and just let it play out and i'm so glad we didn't do that because all the rangers fans want him gone yeah um i'm not against gallant i mean obviously now i am i i think newsy's a good coach i this this team isn't isn't ready to win yet. Um, I th- still think that there's a chance that they push, you know, and and you know as they get healthy. But yeah, I, we can close the book on Gallant to the Red Wings. I don't think that's going to happen. And then you had Kako as well. That was uh, you know a, a high draft pick as well. Who I, I mean, Kako at this point, I, I I don't know. I don't know where the Rangers go from there with, with Kako because I know. People talked about, you know, them trading him already. And I mean, what, it's three years in now? I mean, Jesus, what a, what a bad look. What a bad look for the Rangers. So do you trade Tyler Bertuzzi in a pick for Alexi Lafreniere? I would do it. 
Would you? I, How I old would is do he? It in two seconds. He's, yeah. He's what twenty one? Yeah. I mean, the kid's got. I think he's got a, a massive amount of talent, but you're just not putting him in positions to succeed. And that's well. The I mean, thing with the Rangers too is the Rangers have so many good players up front. It's hard to like fit a spot in. But I mean, you would think that you know just. A, a guy like Kako or a guy like Lafreniere. I think Lafreniere is miles ahead of where Kako is, but I mean, they, they even have other guys, you know, that, that have kind of overpassed them as well. And hell, they, they told you that they didn't trust these guys when they went out and signed Panarin. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Rangers, because like I said, the fan base is becoming relentless with the Gallant needs to be fired stuff. And eventually, and I don't see the Rangers doing it because they're in a decent position. It's not like they're flailing at the bottom of the standings. Greg, a New York team wants their coach fired? Hmm, where have I seen that before? You mean the, every New York team every in the history New York, of oh, He's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. <laughs> uh, it's just the New York attitude. They, they want change and they want it now. Uh, the last question of the night is from YouTube at Sean Jonkis. Is Jim Nill the reason Dallas has drafted so well? Uh, it says, too bad he wasn't in Detroit to help Holland make better choices. It might have shortened the rebuild timeline before Eiserman got here. I, I go back and forth with how much the general manager actually affects the draft and not the, the draft experts that they employ. Um, I know when Iserman came in, he fired people and hired new people and promoted Chris Draper and the drafting has gotten better. And I do know that the GMs have input on the draft, but I don't think they're sitting there all day doing draft research and watching tape on kids and all that. They rely heavily on the people they surround themselves with to do that. Now, are you saying that maybe if Jim Nill, you're saying that if Jim Nill was here, he would have helped Holland, which is true because he would have been surrounding Holland with information and people and, and all that knowledge. But at the end of the day, the general manager makes the pick based on the information given to them. I don't think they just go in and say, here's my seven guys. I don't care what anyone else says, but I wouldn't say that Jim Nill is the sole reason Dallas has drafted so well, but uh, the GM is always a contributing factor. Yeah. Jim Nill's done a good job in Dallas. There's no two ways about it. I mean, they in the same draft they had they had um Ottinger, they had Robert. Hold on, breaking news. The Buffalo Sabres must fold and relocate. Jordan Osterley just scored on them. So it's four to th- it's five three to, to three to five. Oh, five to three. Okay. Yeah. Uh 12 minutes left. Well, I turned it off uh for the Valero Alamo Bowl. So, so keep it keep it off because that, you turn it off and we're gonna we're coming back. That's that's where we're at in Red Wings land right now. Tyler is watching the Valero Alamo Bowl between Texas and Washington before he watches the Red Wings game. So, so a beautiful a beautiful dig on the boards from Beargrin uh, gets it over to Andrew Kopp, who feeds it to Osterley for a goal. Amazing! I love it. I love it. But but yeah, no, they. they, they the the stars and Jim Nill have done a good job of drafting and developing. Uh, Heiskinen, what was it? Heiskinen, Robertson, and uh, the other guy that they got, Rupe Hints. Uh, was it Hints? Anyways, they they had they've they've had a really good, you know, couple of years drafting. You've and also got Ottinger. Ottinger's a fantastic goalie. Saw him play at BU a lot um, when he was here. 
So, I mean, they've done a good job. Nil's done a good job. I, I do kind of temper the brakes on that a little bit because I do think that, like you said, you know, I you think you were looking for pump the brakes, pump the brake. You're right. You're right. I do pump the brakes on that a little bit just because I like you have to surround yourself with those people. So I guess if Ken Holland had Jim Nil still, you know, the, maybe the rebuild wouldn't be as long. But I mean, Ken Holland still made those decisions to to draft those guys and to trade for Eric Cole and trade for Merrick Zidlitsky and 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 trade for um, you know, Gasine, uh, what was it? Um oh, I can't think of his name right now. I want to say David Booth, but it's not David Booth. Oh, Stephen Weiss. Um, what about David Legwan? D- David Legwan, another one. Um, that that was Callie Yarncroft, right? That was traded for him. So, I believe so. What about the Justin Abdelkader extensions? Uh, yeah, that one. There's the Erickson one. There's the Darren Helm. There's Franz Nielsen. I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole if you want to, but... But there was some really bad signings, and I don't know that Jim Nill really helps that. Yeah, okay, maybe drafting, you know, a guy like Jason Robertson or a guy like Miro Heiskinen. Yeah, sure, that wouldn't. But, I mean, again, you you still have to be in those positions to draft. So I, I don't think that they would have ever – maybe would it would it have helped the rebuild a little bit? Yeah, sure, but, but I don't know by how much. I, I think that the – that everything was just so bad for so not, not things were so bad. The NHL club was great, but everything around it afterwards, it was just, it was so bare. There was nothing to pluck from. And even the prospects that were quote unquote over ripening would come up and they would suck like your Tomas Yurkos and, and, you know, those guys. Um, So, I mean, the rebuild was necessary and I think, there wasn't a better guy to do it than Steve Eisenman. So, and it's still going, obviously. So. I think the big thing, too, was that Holland traded a lot of picks. That was the other part. You weren't, didn't put yourself, like you said, didn't put yourself in a position to draft well because you kept trading picks away. And you were not drafting high because you were trying to rebuild on the fly. So I think, and you can point at the misses like uh, Svechnikov, who I can't really blame it because a lot of it was injury. You can point at taking Michael Rasmussen. Granted, Rasmussen has turned into a very good role player for this Jalowski. team. But, but Rasmussen was drafted too high. Uh, trade it, yeah, taking Chalowski and Hronik um, and, and trading away that Datsuk contract to take, take Chalowski and Hronik instead of getting Chikrin. That was not a great move. Um, so, I mean, who's to know what would have happened if he stayed here, who he would have picked up? People will now say, well, Philip Zadina, you can count that in there, too. Uh, he because I mean, what do you what's going to happen when he is Quinn healthy Hughes. again? Sure, you could add Quinn. Hughes. I mean, you probably could still have Quinn Hughes because they said they'll trade him. But I, I, I can't pin it solely on Holland. But at the end of the day, he's the one marching up there to make the pick. So. Um, but that's going to do it for our mailbag tonight. That is going to do it for our episode. Tyler, I want to get your final thoughts before we sign off. Uh, my final thoughts are drink and drink a lot because this team uh, tonight anyways uh, is not giving us much to write home about, although they're starting to come back. So maybe I'll, I'll um, pump the brakes again. It's becoming more respectable as it goes, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you know, my final thoughts are just enjoy the season. Like I said, there, there's a lot still left in the season. There's still a lot of, 
of hope in terms of, of health and everything else. Um, you know, hopefully everyone enjoys their new year. If, if you're a Michigan fan, go blue and, uh, you guys have a good night. Yeah. We're not going to be back until oh. after the new year. Go ahead. And you can follow me on Twitter at seal dog 91. Yeah. We're not going to be back until after the new year. Uh, so happy new year to everyone. This episode should go out on the 30th, hopefully. And on Monday, which is the second, I think Monday is the second, we do have a special guest coming on. Uh, it's an exciting one that I don't think anyone has had on yet, but it will be really fun for the Twitter crowd, uh, this one coming up. Um, but that's going to do it for me. You can follow me online at Breaking the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. We'll give a thanks to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet for hosting our podcast. We also give a shout out to Vintage Detroit, which is the only place you should get your Detroit jerseys from and worked on. Go head over to YouTube and sub to our channel and click the little notification button to be notified whenever things go live. Uh, the more views we get on there, it helps us out a lot. Uh, we also like to give a shout out to Howie's Hockey Tape, where if you use the promo code GRINDLINE, you get 10% off your order. If you use that same promo code on Bring Hockey Back, you get 12% off. And you can go to redbubble.com and search the GRINDLINE to find our merch. But that is going to do it for us tonight. So for Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.